Hello and welcome to this episode of The Real World. Today I will be discussing the virtual world with Ho Yin Chun, the CEO and founder of Remo, the interactive virtual event platform that allows you to make genuine connections online. Ho Yin is an entrepreneurial visionary with a knack for being ahead of the curve. Accurately predicting the psychological harms associated with social media, he moved on from his own successful social media agency to pursue the future of humanized digital interactions. He then went on to pioneer groundbreaking concepts in remote working and real-time virtual collaboration. Hoyan has grown Remo from five team members to over 100 members, all working globally and generating over eight-figure ARR in just over a year. Hoyan, it's lovely to see you. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm good. good. How are you, Hannah? I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. And I have to say, I'm so pleased that you could spare the time to join us today. Um, and you are joining us virtually from Hong Kong, aren't you? That is right. Yes. That is right. Good. And how is everything there? Everything going well? Hong Kong's great. Uh, weather's starting to get warm, starting to get typhoon season, but otherwise all good. Great, great. Okay, well, lovely. To start, I would like to jump straight in and explore essentially what virtual space is and what it's trying to achieve and how it's emerged into the marketplace. So to set the scene, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the story behind Remo? Yeah, sure. So when we first started um, back in 2018, um, I was trying to solve a problem that I had. And the problem that I had was many, um, I had many people working for uh, a company that I um, previously was running um, all over the world. And when they were working all over the world, all over the world across different time zones, it was very difficult to sort of um, have that sort of human connection with them as, as we all now know, as, as the pandemic is um, leaving us. But um, it was a problem um, back then. And it was the concept of remote working was still very young. And so we wanted to create something where it could help us connect with each other. And so what we first created was a remote virtual office. And the remote virtual office was a space that literally looked like an office that had different rooms and people would basically work in those different rooms and people can jump into different rooms and collaborate. Um, and so it was a virtual space of sorts, but mostly for office use and productivity and collaboration. Um, we did that for about um, seven, eight months and um, we kind of sort of stumbled the opportunity to um, sponsor a online virtual event that was for remote workers. And we said, hey, why don't we try and uh, uh, create an event for them to promote the virtual office business? Um, and so we, we came up together with a, with a uh, we modified our existing product, built it for the event. Um, and we had like 10,000 people go to the event. People were networking, people were going in and having fun and having an experience of an event, like a webinar. Uh, but no one bought the Remo virtual office, even though that was what we were promoting. Um, and everyone was like, wow, Remo is great. Can I start hosting an event with Remo? And we said, well, that, we didn't actually create it for an event. We just, we're just doing it as like a promotion thing. And, um, and that's kind of how we started getting into events and becoming more of like an event space. Um, we still have customers in both areas, um, but this that's kind of like our origin story. So looking at the concept of virtual space more generally now, my first question to you is what kinds of virtual spaces are emerging? And I know you mentioned office and events, 
but how is virtual space being used in other ways? Um, yeah, so there's a lot. Um, so our product has this um, really interesting ability to uh, let people kind of have their imagination run wild. And so we, people come to us with many different types of use cases and I'll share a few of customers that we've had. So we've had, um, and actually from England, we've actually had a boarding school come to us um, for to host classes for their virtually for students. We've had universities that come to us to host workshops, office hours, student events, um, orientation, um, introduction of the university. Um, we've had shopping malls that come to us that they want to host like a shopping street with different vendors along the street. And people have like a QR code in their video and people will scan the QR code to pay. Um, we've had uh, we've had people who host uh, workshops uh, for learning. Um, we've had people that nonprofits for fundraising events, award shows, award ceremonies. Um, we've even had people that used us for a wedding in Japan. Um, you know, we're speaking to another company that wants to use us for funerals um, as well. Wow. Um, and uh, and so we, we have we have a lot. We have a lot. Those are just some of the more interesting ones. So really, there's no limit to, to what this virtual space can be used for. And actually, it's are there any particular countries that are using it more often for events or schools or even, as you said, weddings and funerals? Is there particular countries that are more prone to pick those virtual spaces up? So weddings um, and funerals is more in Asia. Um, universities is in Japan and the United States, um, mostly for like workshops and events and virtual events is mostly Europe. Um, with some universities in, in Europe. Um, I think that's, those are some of the trends that I see currently. Okay, and do you think that the pandemic significantly pushed this product or actually the concept of virtual space forward? Or was this trend already there before the pandemic? So the trend was, I believe was already there. Um, it was just moving very slowly, very, very slowly. People were thinking about it. Um, I think back in 2019, like literally three or four months before the pandemic, Silicon Valley went through this major trend and change of remote work. And prior to, I would say October of 2019, remote work in virtual spaces was really a fringe trend. And it wasn't until the Q4 of 2019 is when it really came to the forefront. What I would have, what I, what I, what I would have believed if the pandemic did not hit in 2020, I think the the whole um, it would have accelerated. Like we were seeing a lot of acceleration in January already uh, of reduced use of virtual spaces for different for different use cases. It was just a lot. It was just not at the scale that we have today. So, so the answer is yes. Like it did push it really, really fast. I mean, several magnitudes faster than it was before. Now that you've seen the world start to unlock, so to speak, are you still receiving the same level of interest in, in Remo or has it, has it tailed off slightly? Yeah, I mean, we, the pandemic was a very unique time. Like that was, I mean, that is not normal. And so we're, we're looking to see, uh, we're, we're seeing a much more normalized growth um, than it was before. And I think that, that to, to me, 
what happened in the pandemic is not sustainable. That that is not uh, in any way how anyone should run their business. And so we're seeing a more normal growth uh, trajectory for the company. And I think that is where we are orientating ourselves to. Out of interest, how did you originally go about designing this virtual space? I know a large part of your motivation was to, to increase that personal connection. And was that a big part of the design phase? And did you have to emulate real space? Yeah, so we did. So when we design our spaces, we look at um, interior design, we look at office space design. Uh, I spoke to some experts in both of those areas. I even spoke to like interior designers as well and how they design spaces and, um, and, and, and combining that with game design because you're not interacting with something that's real. You're interacting with something that has a graphical user interface and that's essentially is a game, essentially. So um, we thought, I thought personally a lot about that and the way how you view space and view how does it look visually because it's a very visual thing. Remo is a very, you can create custom maps to showcase your your floor plan um, of your office, for example, but you could choose not to use uh, your real existing floor plan. You could create something like we have people that created floor plans of that they have an office like in in, a, in an exotic island or on top of a skyscraper or uh, inside a spaceship or something like it. Then becomes more, you know, funny enough, design and potentially art to some extent, and making that space more immersive. And there are, there was a lot of things that we looked into to try to learn from existing disciplines to understand like what really is um, good practice. It's, it's really interesting actually that you've mentioned that you brought some of your design from gaming. Um, now that's, that's a concept that I've not, not heard of before when it comes to real estate design. Have you noticed a trend in the age demographic for Remo? Um, and does the design of that reflect the age demographic? So absolutely, the age demographic, what, where, when we initially started, the age demographic was definitely um, younger. Um, I would say probably 40 to 50 and below. Uh, due to the pandemic, everyone had to get up to speed with technology, no matter if they liked it or not, whether you're a tech savvy or not. And so we started to see a lot of um, people who are older to come on, but to be honest, when it comes to tech savviness, in my opinion, it's got act doesn't really have too much to do with age, based off of what I've seen. It's just whether that person is willing to learn and understands technology in general. Like I, I don't think age because we have plenty of people who are seventy plus and they get they use remote fine. They understand it, they get it, and then we just get some people that don't. And so that also applies to the younger age too. Um, what was the, what was your other follow up question? Oh, did your audience essentially? alter your design phase did you know yes. that there would be more of a yeah. more of an issue hitting this to the slightly older market yeah so we we that was it was we had to react to that unfortunately because we didn't know and the answer is yes we had to change our design we had to change our design because we had to simplify everything much more continuously simplify um because that's what people need um to learn quicker and to get on board and get to that aha moment quicker and so um, the design had to be uh, more in smaller chunks and um, we wanted to do onboarding where there's like a long way and there's a short way, giving people options to choose and then giving people different 
um, like you can learn at the beginning or you can learn it in the middle while you're in the product versus before. So there's just many different learners and giving these different options to give them the choice of when they want to go through learning uh, them, uh, by, either by themselves or through something guided. Okay, well, that leads me on to my next question, and that is, who is the most receptive demographic? That's age, culture, um, globally. Who, who is picking this up the quickest, um, and who is more likely to be resistant and want to stick with real space? I think places that will go back to real space are definitely um, countries that don't have as much internet connectivity. Uh, I think they're for sure they'll go back to real space. Um, I think in Asia, they will probably tend to go back into real space more, basically what I've seen. Um, I, I don't know why. Um, it, it, I think it might be possibly that they want something mobile and um, our platform has mobile, but it's not at the level that they want. Um, and I also think that, you know, it, it also depends on how tech savvy they are. So typically more developed countries are more willing to use this product. Oh, another one is, is that the country has to be very spread out, extremely spread out. And there has to be more than one major city. Like if you just had one country and it only had one major city and it's relatively small and they're very insular, then that's definitely not gonna work. But for example, a country like Singapore, where you only have one major city, but it's so small that they must interact with all these other countries and stuff that 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 will work um, right. because they have to play they have to play regionally um the one the, the one other point that i know you didn't answer this question ask this question but going how they use virtual space also de uh, depends on like the type of interactions that they have geographically for example in the us they're going to go more physical obviously because a lot of commerce and a lot of engagement is being done within the country same thing with the uk but if if it's, for example, in Asia and UK, where you're trying to interact with Europe, international travel is still going to be very limited. So a lot of events or a lot of, of, of um, interactions that require regional participation across country borders, that's going to take some time. I think that's and going to take some time. Do you think that's because of the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's because of the pandemic, because people don't know, you know, if there's going to be a vaccine passport, not everyone's vaccinated at the same level, countries are afraid of of free-flowing um, individuals. Uh, international travel is still something that is difficult. Quarantining is still something that is very, uh, people don't want to do quarantine. So I think there's still some time uh, for that. But the, the challenge now is that everyone has tasted the honey. Like they all have seen that, oh, wow, I don't have to travel. Mm. And so it'll be interesting to see how this will impact travel um, as the pandemic um, slows down. Great. So I think we've covered a lot in terms of the history and the current objectives of virtual space and how it's operating in the current market. Um, but now let's touch on its potential for the future. For instance, will we be seeing hospitals where the first instance is you're meeting your doctor virtually before you come in? Will all schools have a, a virtual level to them just in case we do have another lockdown? Yeah, well, there's several things. One is, is that I think anything that has critical that's critical, like a hospital or a school, will have a virtual backup. So right. making sure that your space has a virtual backup is very important, not only for specific emergencies uh, cases, um, but whether it's weather or, or anything else, that will be important. And the second part is that um, it 
virtual spaces allows for more reach. So virtual space will never replace physical. That's 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 not going to happen. And every and everyone in the virtual event industry understands that. What virtual events and virtual events platforms or virtual spaces do is that it is a scaling solution when you're unable to scale the current confines and the restrictions of the physical space, you can use technology to scale that up to a much more broader and global audience. And that's the power. And that's the power of, of, of what virtual space can be. So a lot of events can now be um, hosted in um, a space, but then they will need to be more equipped with technology to host hybrid events, which are parallel parallel hybrid events so that you can host a physical and a virtual event at the same time, have different sources of participants, and they both interact uh, and consume the same speaker, the same presentation as an example. That is gonna be the difference. And that is what I think when it comes to um, physical spaces is that's how you become more equipped to attract customers that um, are looking to extend beyond um, uh, the physical part. And I think that's a very big value add. And the more that physical spaces can provide that as uh, not only from a technology standpoint, but also as a service to help them implement the, the solution um, because you have to do a lot of setup. That to me is the value add that a lot of physical spaces can provide and offer and essentially also um, make, uh, make more uh, a chance to also increase revenue. So it's interesting that you don't believe that in in our generation anyway, we will never be fully remote. We will never go fully virtual to the extent where it will overtake real estate. I mean, from a market standpoint, there's way more individuals that are able to go online than physically possible. So it from that standpoint, it will be much bigger um, than than I think the physical space. But the physical space will be something where if you host it somewhere centrally and people want to come in centrally, it will be, um, I think it will be something where it will always exist. It will still be something people do, um, but it's a balance. It's more of a balance for the individual. So if you have a family, um, you're with, you, you have a very tight schedule. Um, you're, you live a bit more further away from, from the CBD. Um, you, they have lowered your barrier to attend the event because those individuals may not have attended at all. So to me, what you're doing is you're broadening it. You're, I'm actually, we're actually broadening the participation that you can have at that, in that virtual space uh, tied to the physical space that you previously would not have been able to get. Okay, now I know you've mentioned that you believe moving forward, it will be a hybrid situation between real estate and virtual space. It is likely that the emergence of virtual space will still implicate the real estate market in some way. What I mean by that is in the future, will investors start investing into virtual space as well as real estate? Could it be an investor's market? So I believe it already exists, actually. There's actually people like investing in virtual spaces and, and investment, and you can buy spaces, I believe, wow. um, online. I've seen people buy it for various reasons, but I, I don't, at, at its current nascent stage, I'm not sure if it's mature enough for investment. I think it's mm -hmm. uh, more, at, it's, it's still pretty early. Um, however, 
I do see that there is space for some platform in the future where you have a virtual space that becomes not a commodity, but something that is very rare. That, um, for example, like a virtual address that you cannot get somewhere else. Right. Like, for example, like five infinite loop, for example, uh, which is the Apple, like one infinite loop was the Apple address, right? But it's just something like of that nature. But it has to be something that's very unique and, and very something that people that want. Other than that, like if it's not rare, I think there still needs more time for it to develop. Mm. Do you see in the future at all, let's say I as a purchaser, I invest in, in virtual space. Could I then, in a sense, lease that out? Or is that more your job as, as the developer or the founder of Remo to lease out your virtual space? So actually people already do that with Remo. Wow. They already do that. Oh, that's yeah. really interesting. Could you tell me a little bit more about that if that's okay? Yeah, so for example, we have agencies that purchase our subscription on a monthly basis. And then they provide value add with our subscription and they sell it at a higher price to their customers. And so they're essentially leasing out that, they're subleasing out that space. So they are, essentially, on top of it. they are essentially virtual landlords in, in a sense. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in some sense. Yeah, absolutely. So they're already doing that. that so that's already happening. That, that's happening today. And we get, um, and I think a significant part of our income is already through agencies that run this model so they make money already i'm just thinking about that from a legal perspective we have contracts with them we have we have a more special contract with them that's we've created and then they also have contracts with their clients yes. i'd be really interested to to see how how similar that would be to a, a real lease but i can imagine there are some major differences let's touch on hybrid remote working which was a, a big focus for, for yourself and that's where you see this going um, now, in an ideal world for both people in your industry and the real estate industry, these two spaces, virtual and physical space, would work together and propel each other forward. Has hybrid remote working played a stronger role in countries that are now phasing out social distancing restrictions? So what I've seen is um, hybrid remote work is still sticking around. It's still sticking around. Um, there has been a permanent change in the way how we work. Um, and that has incurred behavior change and being able to kind of taste the honey that you don't have to work uh, in the same place all the time. Um, I think we've, I think as a, as a, as a civilization, I mean, as a, as a, as a civilization, and we can say that not, not by country as a, as a, a human civilization, I think we've moved on to this next moment where like um, it, we've fundamentally just changed that, we can potentially work from home and um, do work and, and adapt and adapt to this. So I think it, uh, many countries are still, remote work is still very strong. It's actually very, very strong. Now, there are some people that have chosen to go back um, and that, and it, again, it depends on the type of industry that you're in um, and it depends on preferences of the leadership team. But in general, I've seen a lot of it has started to maintain, has a lot of it maintained. Okay, and my my last question essentially is again bringing it back to the real estate market and the implications on the real estate market. Will hybrid remote working have any significant effects on the market? Now, office space, of course, will still be required, but if fifty percent of your workforce are now working from home, that's fifty percent less office space being used. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. Um, I, I I'm not too sure. I I I personally think 
is that the office space is just going to move. Like it may not be centralized. It may be distributed. So for example, um, so, so a lot of patterns that happen in the United States and I think believe in the UK as well is that since the pandemic, a lot of people have moved away from the city and some people have moved further out from the city. But um, a lot of these small towns may not be equipped with the right uh, places for you to work. So uh, aside from working from home, but not everyone may want to work from home. Maybe somebody wants to work at a co-working space. So I, I, I think um, there's gonna be a growth in more distributed office space. So the office space may not be centralized. It's just in, in more places. Um, and yeah, and, and I, think that's, I think that's a change that I think we will see. Fabulous. Well, that I think is the perfect place to leave this here, Ho Yin. Thank you so much for joining me. It was an absolute pleasure. And actually some really, really interesting topics came out of that. I hope you enjoyed appearing on the show. It was, this was fantastic. Thank you for inviting me, Hannah. I had a good time. Thank you. Good. I'm really glad. I'm really glad. And to all of our listeners, thank you once again for joining this episode of The Real World, a podcast by David Jones-Bold. 